Welcome to the Small Business Tips Podcast presented by Amelia. I'm your host, Matt Fish. Thank you so much for checking out the program today, wherever you're listening. I appreciate the download and or the stream. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're joining us from. Leave us a nice five-star review, if it's possible, within the app, of course. And check us out online for more great educational material, blog posts, webinars, YouTube videos, you name it. It's all over at Amelia.com. That's A-M-I-L-I-A dot com. Today, we are talking about understanding the buyer's journey. Any small business, nonprofit organization who is looking to increase their marketing output and expand their reach and basically see a higher return on investment. When we talk about marketing here at Amelia, it always goes back to the buyer's journey. It's a really important topic to wrap your head around and really turn into actionable change or just improvement at your organization to your marketing strategy. And joining me today to talk about the buyer's journey the director of marketing here at Amelia, Ashley Wood. What's happening? Hi there. Um, I'm super excited to be here. This is the first podcast I've ever appeared on. Uh, <laughs> so this is where my career starts to take off. Oh my God. Well, I'm so happy to be your platform to superstardom. Just remember me when you're famous, okay? We yeah. can have dinner sometime. By uh, the time this goes live, I'll be a professional podcaster. <laughs> so before we get started, let's give people a little bit of insight into your role here at Amelia and maybe just insight into the role of a marketing director in general. What goes into it? What does your day-to-day look like? I think my primary role is just making sure that everyone on the team has everything they need and then I try to stay out of their way as much as possible so that they could do their job. Um, My role is a lot of working with the other departments. So I'll work with departments that come in at different stages of the buyer's journey. So I work with the sales team to understand what people need when they're buying, what they're looking for when they're buying. I work with the customer success team to understand what's important to clients once they've already signed their contract and they're on board. Um, I work with product marketing to see how people buy and what features they're interested in and how they learn how to use features. So my job's really to take all the information from all the other departments, share it with my team, give them the information they need so they can produce content and marketing that one is interesting for our audience and two gets people interested in Amelia. What was it about marketing that sort of made you pursue a career in this domain? Because again, marketing can mean a lot of things. So what was your hook? What was your in as a marketing professional? The like six seasons of Mad Men, I guess. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> I think I'd always been interested um, in the creative side of marketing. So I think it's a field that was vague enough for me um, to explore different things. So there's psychology in it with buying behavior and consumer attitudes. Uh, There's math in it when you're looking at analytics and seeing how things are going to work. There's art in it, what's pleasing to the eye, what catches people's eye. Um, So I think it was a field that was broad enough that I knew I could do a lot of different things that I'd never be bored. I knew I wanted um, to be in an industry that didn't stay the same. So marketing, I think, changes daily, weekly. So something that I'd always be interested in that I could always learn in just because you went to school for it. A lot of the stuff, most of the stuff I learned from marketing came after I graduated. Uh, Not to say university wasn't important, stay in school. But a lot of the stuff you learn in marketing is really on the job. There's new tools all the time. There's new best practices. There's new methodologies. So uh, I think, yeah, that's what attracted me, that it's always different. 
I'm going to echo those sentiments too. You know, I come from a broadcasting background. Uh, I was doing radio professionally for a time before I joined Amelia. And I just really love, as you said, the evolving environment, the evolving circumstances and the rules don't necessarily stay the same. And for somebody like me, it can really be um, this creatively fulfilling environment, maybe even more so than broadcast media. You know, no shots fired, but I'm just saying by comparison, maybe it's something that professionals outside of a marketing uh, background, if you're taking it in school could even uh, consider and also Mad Men let's be honest they should just come back and do another round of Mad Men shouldn't they so much we need John Hamm yeah I mean dreamy <laughs> but that's a podcast for another time uh, alright buyer's journey let's get down to business here um, well first of all let's just say that um, people often think of customers if people are buying your product or service and I want to say that we're, we're referencing a buyer's journey here this also can mean people registering for free programs this is basically customers clients becoming part of your infrastructure as an organization so it's not a cut and dry they bought something from me I got their money and that's the end of it let's describe what the buyer's journey is sort of as a whole as a as a concept before we get into the actual stages of it yeah, so to me, it's almost more of a buyer's loop. The buyer's loop starts before you even know these people exist, these clients exist, which uh, for me as a marketer is terrifying. But you do everything you can to learn the most about them so that you can create an experience that's easy for them, uh, that's straightforward. You want to make sure you're attracting the right type of buyer, so you want to be clear. Um, and that really starts with interest. So you, like I said, you want to make sure that you're speaking to the right people. And then there's information gathering. So with the internet now, I don't need to call anyone to see uh, if a restaurant has any available reservations, or if they have positive reviews, I don't need to wait for uh, the Sunday Gazette to see which one got featured. You can find anything you need to know about anything on the internet. So you want to make sure that you're putting the right information out there so that when they're looking for um, potential activities or potential services, that uh, your information is out there. Then there's options. So uh, you are not the only show in town most of the time. So you want people look at their options. They'll never go, okay, I want to do this activity. There's only one option here unless you're Apple. There are multiple, people have choice. Uh, and then the last one is decision. So looking at all their different options, which one's the right fit for them. So it's not necessarily that the business down the street is better than your business or that you're better than the business down the street. It's really, is it a fit for that person? Um, and then after that, it's really, it loops back. So someone's interest or information gathering phase is someone's decision phase and it rotates. So if I went to a restaurant, absolutely loved it. The next day I come into work and I tell everyone how good it is. That was my post-purchase phase. That could be, Matt, that could be your information gathering phase. So that next time you're looking for a restaurant, you consider that one. And the world goes round and round based <laughs> on the, the buyer's loop. And what I really want to point out too is that, you know, specifically for information gathering, and we'll touch on this in a few minutes, but it sort of applies to all of those four stages, which we're going to get into in detail. There's, I don't want to position it as like there's no room to hide because of the internet anymore, but it's more like 
your buyer's loop, and this relates to your your organization's marketing persona, your branding, not, none of this happens by accident, right? So it's based on those interests, you know, and it feeds into the different stages, you know? It's a chain. It's not necessarily a stop and go process. Let's let's dive into to some of these now. Um, interest. We talked about these people. We don't necessarily know, but they could be part of you know your company's reach, your business's reach. Um, talk about how you sort of gauge those interests and how you put those together and how you pinpoint what your sort of ideal customer would be. This is going to come up, I think, a couple times, but Google. So Google, everyone uses it, which means everyone's searching. Google keeps that information. They know everything about you. They know everything about me. They know what my friends are buying. They know they know what I might buy. Um, so your job as a small business is to tell Google, hey, this is what I'm offering. This is where you can find more information on it. And this is how people should be buying from me. Um, and you do that with SEO. I think this should be my only acronym, this whole podcast. <laughs> um, but it's search engine optimization. So your job, like Google makes money from advertising. The way they get advertising is from the number of people searching. So their goal is really to make um, the results that people are looking for as accurate and relevant as possible so that they come back next time. If I don't find um, everything I need on Google and then I go to Bing, let's say, or Yahoo, they've lost a customer. They can't sell advertising for as much. So you're really, uh, in the end, just trying to make Google more money. Um, but in that, you're trying to make yourself more money also. So you want to tell Google, hey, I offer these services. So if someone's uh, searching for this, I'm your guy. Send them here. And then once a lot of these keywords, key terms uh, through SEO and a lot of research online, you can pinpoint different types of customers different types of demographics, different types of people who either would potentially be interested in your business or through all of this proof legitimately are interested in your business. And those are what we call buyer personas. You can literally go, I want to see how many times homemade pasta restaurants in Montreal was searched for. Um, and that'll give you an indication of what people are looking for. If it's zero, then you probably shouldn't be telling Google that you have a page on homemade pasta in Montreal. So using the keyword finder in Google, it's totally free. Uh, you can go in there and then just type in keywords, set up your parameters and see what people in your area uh, are looking for and how they're searching. That'll tell you a lot about who they are. And then eventually getting to these buyer personas. What makes up a good buyer persona? I know we've done it a lot here at Amelia, so we might take that process for granted, but I do believe there's a lot of smaller businesses, organizations out there who maybe aren't constructing buyer personas or aren't constructing them in enough detail. So maybe go over some of the key aspects of a buyer persona that people should be looking out for. Yeah. Um your buyer persona, buyer personas, because most of the time you'll have multiple, is should really be the foundation for your entire business. So your business is nothing without its customers. So you want to know who they are. Uh, you want to know where they're from. You want to know how they shop. You want to know who they trust. That sounds creepy. <laughs> you want to know uh, who they trust. You want to know where they search for information. So if you're catering... Um, 
to an older crowd, they trust the newspaper, they trust print media, but if you're marketing or if you're catering to a crowd that's a lot younger, they're probably not reading print media. So you might look at um, sharing your information on social media, creating ads there, creating programs that revolve around what they're interested in. So I'd really look at demographics, like I said, where they're from, um, how old they are. And then I'd also look at the the psychology, I guess, behind them of like what they're looking for, what benefits do they want, what are they searching for? Is it to be social? Is it to be easy? Um, is it like as little human contact as possible? And really knowing how they think so that you can build your business around that. And like I said, building your business, I mean, building your activities, training your staff, creating your marketing should all be around your buyer personas. And I really, uh, we've done it here at Amelia where we'll give that persona a name, put a picture next to him or her, and then just describe this person. And we check back with our persona. So if we're creating a campaign for our persona, John, we'll go back and go, would John find this interesting? Is this something that John would like? Um, And I think doing that pretty often helps you because your customers are going to evolve and your business needs to evolve with it. So you have to keep validating those personas. It's really important to go back and check in with your buyer personas on a regular basis. We're not talking about once or twice a year either, uh, more frequently than that. And you can even dial it in for your buyer personas on what sort of job they might have or what type of position. Is it an entry level position if it's a younger crowd? Is it mid or upper level management? Is it a CEO? That's going to dictate how much money they make. That's going to dictate how much money they potentially have to spend on your product and so on and so forth. So as you said, it really influences every part of your business operation, especially uh, your marketing strategy. And I think, yeah, you need to interview real people also. So once you've come up with what you think your buyer persona is, go talk to a potential client. Go find your ideal client and ask them all these questions. Who do you trust? Where do you look for information? What's your schedule? Um, How many kids do you have? Stuff like that. And then check back with your persona. Did they meet this? Was I right? Yes. Okay. No. In a year from now, do the same exercise with them. Maybe your ideal client has changed and that means your business, um, your business rules have to change and your marketing's changed. So always referring back, but using real people. And then once you have these sort of real people influenced by your personas, that's where you really start to get into the good stuff. So we're at interest now. Uh, this is sort of generating maybe a little bit of buzz online surrounding your business or brand. We moved to information gathering and some people out there might be thinking, wait, didn't we just do information gathering in terms of keywords? We're talking about information gathering from those people who might fill up those buyer personas. So um, let's maybe connect the dots from interest to information gathering. How do you get from one stage to another? And then let's segue also into what specifically goes into the information gathering stage of the buyer's journey or the loop? Yeah. So um, once someone has, once you've piqued someone's interest and they want to look more into you, I think it's important to get their information so that you can stay in contact with them. So it could be a form on your website to sign up for your newsletter. When you have their information, you'll be able to market to them later. Obviously, you want to have an unsubscribe and give them the option to not be marketed to. That's totally fair. But they've already shown they have an interest in your product. So you want to stay on that 
and see if you can convert them. So getting information uh, like their email is, I think, the first one. And you can set stuff up where if you already have your email, the next time they come on your website, the form only shows um, activities that you're interested in or when you're looking to register. So getting as much information as you can from the visitors on your website or from people that are reading your content, I think is super important to be able to market to them later. And then when you're marketing to them later, how much is too much or how little is too little? And I know there's no exact science here, but like you said, there's an option to unsubscribe. Is there sort of a way to continue piquing people's interest through the information gathering stage? Like how do you keep the ball rolling, would you say? Um, I think it really comes down, and this is kind of your wheelhouse, but making sure that you're providing them valuable content. So example, I might be looking for a gym near my place and I'm just scrolling through it while I'm sitting on the subway or the metro. I'm not ready to buy now, but I'm just interested. If I give you my email then and you send that, then later on when I'm at home and I'm ready to buy and I'm ready to sign up for a membership, I see that and I'm reminded. Too much, I think, depends on your content. If you are providing me information that I find useful and valuable and you're emailing me every day and I find that relevant and great, then that's not too much. If you're selling to me every single day, it's going to take about three days before I unsubscribe. So I think the frequency isn't as important as the value to your audience and to your target. And you'll be able to see right away. If you sent 10 emails and none of them are getting opened, scale it back a bit. No one's reading that. But I think it's really um, content and value over frequency. You know, I was reading something the other day where the keeping that ball rolling and keeping that interest and increasing that interest over time, a, a lot of marketing pros and thought leaders and marketing evangelists on the likes of LinkedIn and Medium and all these other websites uh, compare it to sort of a video game. Uh, and like you said, if they're if you got 10 emails, people are reading it. It's not only because they're interested, but also because they're getting some small reward out of it, whether it's some insight into the industry, whether it's tips that could help their business or their organization grow discounts, promotions, and it all goes goes into it. You know, so keep that in mind. You sort of have to keep dangling the carrot, I think, from from a content point of view. I think, yeah, like um, I'll use the example of the skim. So yeah, I get an email from the skim every single day all year and I look forward to opening it. If I buy something at the Gap and they email me the next day trying to sell me more stuff, I'm like, how dare they? (laughs) So it's really like I have one that emails me after I've made a purchase and I have one that emails me every single day when I haven't made any purchase or asked for that information. So it's really because the skim kind of it gives me value every single day. It's what I'm looking for first thing in the morning. So like I said, I think it's really content over frequency. Yeah. And you, you mentioned those shopping emails after you've bought something. We've all got them. But, it, you know, think about how small, how much smaller that barrier is now where you'll look at something on Amazon or another online retailer and then an hour later on whatever social platform you're using, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you're going to have ads for that product or that online retailer. So 
that's how maybe you know that you're pushing the buttons a little bit too hard. So like you said, it it really depends on the relevancy of the content and how interesting and how engaging it is. But, you know, you really have to adapt your marketing strategy in tune with those buyer personas. And, you know, that interest that you will gauge through the process of information gathering will influence the buyer personas. And that's what we're talking about, always keeping them updated and always making sure they evolve with your business. A hundred percent. Like if you have someone that doesn't trust social media and you're pushing social media ads to them every day, that's too much. But if you have someone that completely trusts, you said the newspaper and you're putting an ad in there every day, then that's valuable. So yeah, good point. Always coming back to your buyer's journey and go like, what would John think? Do you think John would like this? Um, And then using that as your kind of guide. It's like a baby in the first 12 or 24 months. So-and-so doesn't like pasta. And then six months later, they like pasta. Nothing is set in stone here, especially with marketing. Let's move on to the next uh, stage with options. So we're done information gathering. We are now providing what one, what one would assume is a little bit of a following, a little bit of a client base, or at least an interest base already online and otherwise. We're giving them options. How do you do that effectively? Um, I think you really just want to be straightforward. So don't fluff it up. Go, here's what we're offering. Here's why we're great. Here's we'd be a good fit if you are looking for X, Y, and Z. So if you just start, um, and when I say straightforward, I mean straightforward with benefits. So you don't wanna just list off your services and your classes because if someone um, is evaluating you versus another business, they wanna know what they're gonna get or what their child's gonna get when they leave. So if you have, if you have a program that builds strength and confidence in your athletes, then put that, they don't need to know that their child is gonna learn half a cartwheel and a backflip. They need to know that their child's gonna have a great time, be more confident, stay healthy. Um, So really being straightforward with what you can offer. And like, there's no point in lying or misleading people when you're sharing this information because it's gonna take about probably 20 minutes for them to realize this isn't what I signed up for. And they're going to go back and tell all their friends and everyone they can that they were misled by this business and not to go there. So always when you're trying to sell people, keep in mind, what is this person going to leave thinking? Are they going to say, okay, this was completely worth all the money, completely worth the time. My kid had a great time. I got exactly what I signed up for. Or are they going to say this place looked great on paper? Their website was amazing. I got there and it wasn't at all what I expected. I think that's a great point too, is making sure you're putting your best foot forward but in a truthful way don't make promises in the internet ether to this base of clients or people that are interested uh, that you can't follow up and keep with your product or services and I think another really important point and something I learned as a marketing professional who did not necessarily come from that education background is that as much as you want to sell your product or service or have people sign up for stuff if you're a nonprofit or as much as you want to push that end goal, the the buyer's loop exists for a reason and you can't necessarily try and hop over the steps. You can't, like the steps are there for a reason and the reason why as options, it's benefits and or lifestyle upgrades over a sales pitch is that with enough benefits and lifestyle upgrade communication or messaging, be that on social media, email marketing, content, all the way down the line, the sales pitch almost becomes a moot point because you're going to get them interested to the level that they're just going to walk in to your place of business or to your website by themselves. 
Yeah, I think instinctively you want to, especially as a marketer, go, okay, we need to put our name everywhere so that everyone sees it and they know who we are. And we kind of had to take a step back on the marketing team and go, wait, no one cares. They don't care about your company or your brand. They care about what your company and your brand can do for them. So I think taking that into account when you're putting your content out there of uh, it's not about you. Uh, it's about the customer and what you can do for them. So always kind of checking yourself with that. An exercise that we did a couple times that was surprising is we would take something like an email that we wrote, uh, a marketing email that we wrote or a page on our website. And in one color highlighter, we highlighted every time we use the word I, us, Amelia, um, we, and then we took another color and highlighted how many times we used you, yours, and it was scary. We wrote a whole web page and a whole email about us, and they don't care. So I think always that exercise is fun to do. Well, it's not fun, but um, I think was useful. Useful, yeah. <laughs> um, and just making always checking yourself to make sure it is not about me. It is about them. It is about what my business can do for them. And it's a great exercise to take you know, some text-based copy first, and it can then apply to, you know, video content you're using for your business uh, nonprofit, or even if you guys are in the podcasting world doing something of that nature, take the content and take as much of the self-referential pronouns out of it as possible, right? There shouldn't be as much of we, us, I in there, or, you know, the bare minimum to make the language work, I think. Yeah, you want to paint a picture of, like you said, those lifestyle upgrades and those benefits and just you're only there to help facilitate. You're there to help them get there. And I think that if you're putting that foot forward, then your options and um, them comparing, I'd much rather go to a place that had my interests and my benefits at the forefront than an organization that just talked about how great they are. I was going to say self-aggrandizement, uh, not necessarily the best marketing tool that you can be using on a daily basis. And it's not cute either. Like you want them to tell everyone how great you are. Um, and I think you do that by offering great services and great customer service, but you don't need to be the one to share that. And it goes back to what I was just saying a couple minutes ago. You don't necessarily need to tell people how great you are if the positive word of mouth, online reviews, the buzz surrounding your brand is strong enough. You don't even need to do that step. Uh, we're running at a racetrack a little bit here with the episode. So let's get to the last stage of the buyer's loop slash buyer's journey. And that is the decision phase. And a lot of people would say that this is the easiest step. People are ready to make a decision on their options, potentially choose your organization as the one that they go with. But, you know, if I'm going to use a sports analogy, sometimes pushing it over the goal line can be the hardest stage in the buyer's loop. So talk about what goes into a successful decision phase as a marketing team? Uh, what you really want to focus on is making it as simple and as easy as possible. Uh, when someone's decided on your business, that doesn't mean that 10 minutes from now they can't change their mind. If I'm shopping online and it's the phase, they're asking me too much information, um, it's like a difficult process, then like there are a hundred other 
things that I could be buying online that I have no problem switching over to. Um, I know like Amazon, for example, the average time if you have a Prime account is like three minutes to check out. So they already know what address I'm probably shipping to. They know what cards I'm going to use. They know what I might be interested in. So I don't even have a chance to go, is this really a good idea? Should I really be buying this? Maybe I should look elsewhere. Like it's done. So you want to create kind of that same process with your business. It's not going to take three minutes. And most of the time, if you're running an activity-based business, you need more information and that's fine. Um, But you just want to kind of follow Amazon in how they've made it as simple as possible. So one thing to keep in mind is you don't want to make your process your client's problem. So uh, if you have different people taking payments, the ones that actually deal with the registrations, don't make that your buyer's problem. Have that in one easy process and you deal with it on the other side. Decision, like I said, will not last forever. So you want to make that time between when they click register now or sign up and when they pay as short and as easy as possible. You also want to give them some flexibility. So especially when it comes to session-based activities, they aren't always cheap. And if they're registering um, more than one person, they really can be quite costly. So you want to give them options uh, to pay by credit card, to pay by direct debit, um, installment plans. So maybe you only need 50% upfront and then you'll automatically collect uh, the other 50% when the activity starts. So really giving those options so that uh, parents and buyers are comfortable buying from you and then it's easy and they don't have to think twice. For this, I'd really have um, a bunch of people test your buying process. Uh, If you have um, parents go, and this is like if you're testing out a new system or if you're just starting out, have your ideal client have Um, John, the buyer persona, come in and buy from you and get feedback from them. Watch them buy. Um, It sounds creepy, but stand behind them while they're buying and see where they click, see what's not clear to them and fix that. Um, So yeah, I think for the decision phase, really like simplicity and facilitating that process is key. And just before we go, I want to say that those lessons learned in the decision phase, how easy or not it is for your clients, potential clients to go through uh, that buying process, what struggles they have. And I also think too, um, the added convenience you're presenting before, during and after that purchase stage when you're in the decision phase. And you mentioned Amazon. Another great thing Amazon does is their whole return process, right? It's really no strings attached. They do it through your local postal carrier. And, you know, people don't like the hassle of, hey, listen, I tried it. Not going to work out. Product, service, whatever. Uh, Make it easy for people to even, you know, sort of break away from your organization or the products, the services you guys are having, because who knows, they might come back to you in the future. You never want to leave people on sort of a bad note, I think, in the decision phase. Yeah. And it could be that the program they registered wasn't what they thought it would be. And maybe there's another program that you offer that's better suited for them. So give them the option to switch. Make sure you have the systems in place that allows that um, to be possible. Not leaving consumers out in the cold and making sure in the decision phase, the decision phase, excuse me, the stuff that you learn goes back right to your buyer personas and you're updating them on a regular basis. So this, those same mistakes, those same problems don't continue to occur on a regular basis. Ashley Wood, director of marketing for Amelia has been our guest this week. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. 
Make sure you're subscribing to this program wherever you listen to your podcasts for free. And if you're interested in what Amelia's online registration management software can do for you, make sure you visit amelia.com. That's A-M-I-L-I-A.com. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.